Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And welcome to the Sages Among Us. I'm Keith Porter, and tonight my guest is Ann Wood, who is a childhood polio survivor. She's a pediatric respiratory therapist. She's a mother or foster mother to 17 kids and someone who lost her home in the Jones Fire near Nevada City last year. So, Ann, I want to welcome you to what we call the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you you have a fascinating life story, and we want to touch on it as much as as we can in a very short time. It turns out thirty minutes isn't very long, but we'll get started. But let me um, share a little bit of your background uh, prior to uh, getting started with the discussion. Uh, I know you grew up in Fort Worth. Uh, you uh, were there for a, a number of years. You were at age twenty-two. You marched with Martin Luther. King, you have lots to say about that. Uh, you had children. Um, you're, you and your husband were divorced, but you met a woman, Joy, through your professional work, and uh, the two of you fell in love and were a couple for something like 47 or 48 years, I believe. And uh, through a circuitous journey, which we'll touch on, you ended up in Nevada County on a ranch because your wife, Joy, was a, a person who wanted to raise horses. And uh, that ranch, unfortunately, was in the scar of the Jones Fire, uh, which burned last year. So you no longer live there because you lost everything there. So there's a lot to talk about. So um, uh, let's uh, let's go back and start maybe at the beginning. And uh, tell us a little bit about growing up in Fort Worth. Uh, what were your parents and your family like? Well, um, they were wonderful, of course. <laughs> um, growing up, you you have to remember that we're talking about a very long time ago. Um, and life in Texas was much different than it is now. I'm sure life in California was, too. Um, my father was killed in a car accident when I was seven years old. So my life was mostly spent with my mother and my brother. Fortunately, my mother was a very caring, loving person who understood children need space, and she gave us what we needed. Oh, that's a wonder, wonderful thing to be able to say about a parent. So you, you had one sibling, your brother, right? Was, was one of you the responsible child and one the rebellious child? And, and if so, which were you? Oh, well, of course. I was the responsible one, and Jimmy was the airhead. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Jimmy is five years older, than, or was five years older than me, and uh, always cursed the day I was born. Oh, you, you interrupted <laughs> his special... ruined his perfect life. His perfect life. <laughs> Well, on the other hand, the rest of us are very glad you were born, so uh, it's a good thing. You, you, lots and lots of experiences that are important to, to, for us to try to understand. Um, you mentioned at age 22 you marched with Martin Luther King. You experienced people in the crowd throwing rocks at you. Tell us about that. Well, we were um, all lined up. Uh, all of the white girls were lined up in this one row, 
there were, of course, many more black people from uh, Selma who had been bussed over for this march. And um, we were kind of like the ducks out of water. And then all of a sudden, the people on the sidelines started throwing rocks at us. I don't mean boulders. I mean just little rocks. But they aimed for our head. And so um, one of the organizers came and took our row out of the parade for just a few minutes over to the side of the road to explain to us, ask us how we felt about the rocks being thrown at us, and uh, then explain to us why they were being thrown at us. And then, and, and then did you continue in the parade after that? We did. After he explained it all, we got back in the parade, and he had advised us. He said, don't yell anything back at them. Don't give them mean faces. If anything, holler and ask them how they are today. Mm, try to reach Show out. Show them you're their friends. Wow. Good advice. Uh, I wish uh, we were doing more of that right now. Oh, I do, too. So, <laughs> I surely do. So, and they you, thought go, go ahead. we were making fun of them. Yeah. Here was this whole row of white girls in with this four or five rows of black people. And we were smiling and we were waving, and they thought we were making fun of them. Well, things and we were not. We were no. there to support them and their cause. One one of many misunderstandings uh, through many many years, and we we still aren't done with those, unfortunately, in our society, are we? Uh, and I'm y- afraid we're not. Yeah. We have come a long way. I I have to get that in. Yep. We okay. have come a long way. Well, I felt like we had gone a long way by the end of that parade because. Those young people who were throwing rocks at us came and apologized to us. Evidently, the young man who took us aside took them aside, too. Excellent. So, Anne, you mentioned that your choices as a young woman were to become a nurse and live in nurses' quarters or to become a teacher and live in teachers' quarters or become a nun and live in a convent or get married, which you did. And you had had two biological Uh, children. Go ahead. Yeah. Women didn't have a lot of, of choices then. Um, I think in other states they may have, but in Texas we didn't have. There are people who pulled out of that stereotype and went on to do great things. I wasn't one of them. Well, I it, got married. <laughs> yeah, maybe not at that point, but on the other hand, later in life, you you broke a lot of stereotypes. Um, and I know after your two biological children were born, you you had the situation where you uh, uh, friend, friends were killed, I think, and you had they had a six week old child which you uh, ended up adopting, and then you fostered other children, and that went on for years. So what what was behind your uh, in deep and tremendous love for children? Well, I think I was just born with it. Uh, I always loved children. Uh, even, even when I was little, I was taking care of, of the other 
other little children around me who were my age or younger. If they cried, I comforted them. It's just something that one of the gifts God gave me, I think. Right, and also helped on, I would think, by your very supportive and uh, wonderful mother, based on the one, how you described her. Uh, oh, absolutely. You, you then decided you needed to do more with your life than cook and wash clothes, so you went back to school <laughs> part-time. You became a pediatric respiratory therapist. I mean, that's an, that's an interesting uh, choice. Uh, and to do that, you had to organize that uh, group of children, get everybody to pitch in and help. Now, what was your secret to getting that kind of cooperation from a group of kids? Most of us who have been parents and our parents would wonder, mm, how do you get the kids to cooperate? <laughs> well, you know, I used the same tactics my mother used on my brother and I. Um, they, they weren't, I wasn't the commandant of the family. I was the mother and a part of the family. So any kind of decisions to be made, anything that needed to be changed, it was a family decision. And everybody had input. And um, the most children I ever had at home at one time, until they all got older, was seven. Okay. So I didn't have 17 little ones in the house all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah, that would be somewhat overwhelming, I'm sure. Uh, you're listening to it the same... <laughs> Uh, tell the audience that you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter, and today my guest is Ann Wood, who is a childhood polio survivor. Uh, she was a pediatric respiratory therapist, mother or foster mother to 17 kids, and someone who lost her home in the Jones Fire in Nevada City last year. So you, you mentioned, Ann, that one of your adoptees at an early point was a 19-year-old gay nursing student who was beat up by a gang, and he came to live with you, and that must have impacted your life fairly significantly to bring somebody that old into your household. Yes, it surely did. Um, it helped that just... A few years before that, we had adopted a 13-year-old girl. And so I had a little bit of an idea how older kids thought. Um, it was devastating to think that here was this young man who was is short, is um, has the most pleasant face you've ever seen, is gentle, and they attacked him coming out of a building and almost beat him to death oh because they thought he was gay. They didn't even know he was gay. Oh. They thought. A man's inhumanity to man, huh? Yes, exactly. It has no bounds sometimes. Sometimes. Well, you've said that your husband was a very fine man, but he didn't know exactly what to do with you when you'd bring people home from the grocery store because they didn't have a place to eat. That must have caused some interesting discussions uh, in your marriage or as, as a young couple. It, uh, it caused a lot of interesting conversations. And uh, my husband was a very 
very, very nice man. Not just a good man. He was a nice man. And I would always ask him to look in their eyes. And that sealed, and that sealed the deal, huh? That sealed the deal. That's great. He, his answer was, well, all right, but just for a little while. <laughs> just for a couple, three days. Yeah. Okay, we'll work on that. <laughs> Start there and see where it goes from there. Some of them, I could get reconnected with their families in that length of time. Some of them, I couldn't. Well, I know that you and your but, husband, you and your husband, eventually divorced, and um, through your work at the hospital, you met and fell in love with Joy, who sadly died last year. But you spoke about how difficult it was to be a gay couple in Fort Worth at the time, and uh, you said even being accused of gay could have meant losing your children in Texas. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you manage that? Is that talk about being in the closet must have been very difficult. Um, being in the closet wasn't all that hard because my life wasn't any different in the closet than it was out of the closet. Um I didn't march around saying I'm gay. I didn't even know I was until I met Joy. Um, but I, I, I still went to church. I still was involved in things. I still worked at the hospital. My life wasn't all that different until I found out some of the laws of Texas at that time. And they were brutal. First of all, women didn't have many rights. And, um, for instance, I couldn't have a credit card. I had to have permission to use my husband's credit card. Uh, if I went to get gas, I had to be, he had to sign a paper at the gas station to say that I could charge the gas. Well, Things were very different for women. We have come a ways, but um, you know, I don't think our journey's over yet. And uh, for rights for women, or for certainly for blacks, or for um, uh, gay people either. So uh, we'll keep working on it. I don't think it. it is. We'll keep working on it. Uh, let's agree to that. Um, I think that's what we have to do. So I assume probably because we have to see how much alike we are, all of us. Indeed, absolutely. And how much we uh, benefit from caring for each other. It's not yes. uh, being divisive is hard on everybody, including our own selves. So, Yes, it is. Yes, so, it is. So I assume um, partly because of the pressures on you in Texas, I know you and Joy uh, ended up being drawn to California. Her parents lived here, and um, you came to California. You traveled up and down the state, you said, looking for a place to live and raise kids, and eventually you settled in Santa Barbara, and she, Joy, became a nursing administrator at the county hospital. You became a respiratory therapist at St. Francis Hospital. Uh, why Santa Barbara is a place to settle? <laughs> Well, we went to the Los Angeles area first because the big hospitals were there. And um, we stayed there for almost a week. And one day, Joy came home. She'd been out uh, leaving resumes, and she came back. We were camping in a camper. 
and uh, we had left the children with her mother and dad, so we didn't have any children with us. It was just she and I. She came home, and as soon as she walked in, I threw the newspaper at her, and I said, I am not going to live in this area. Every day, a teacher shoots a kid, or a kid shoots a teacher, or a teacher goes in and shoots the whole classroom. I am not living here. I am not raising my children here. And she said, ah, okay. <laughs> Let's start back up 101. <laughs> we made it back to Santa Barbara. By the time we had made it back, she had received a phone call um, at her parents' place from Santa Barbara County Hospital. So she went in to um, answer that call. She went actually went in and talked to the administrator, and she was hired, and that's what brought us to Santa Barbara. Outstanding. Well, I know eventually you had some health issues, uh, and then you couldn't continue working, so you became a stay-at-home mom, but you also then at that time became an activist for gay rights. Um, you fought an initiative in California that was intended to remove gay teachers from schools, and you won on that fight. And uh, that gave you the motivation to fight anti-sex education efforts. And then the AIDS epidemic began, and you worked for the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center in Santa Barbara to start the AIDS Foundation. I think I got that all right. Uh, tell us about you that did. part. Tell us about that part of your life. Well, it was very exciting. It was very upsetting. Um, when. People, when they were trying to take the teachers out of the school, I couldn't believe it. Some of these people were the best teachers in the school. And because they had a different lifestyle that did not impact what they did, they wanted to fire them all. And it just wasn't right. And so I needed to say it wasn't right. I had children. I was impacted by whether they left those teachers there or not. My children were impacted. So I got involved, and as did a lot of other people in Santa Barbara, and we got it turned around. Good for you. Good for you. So uh, let me tell folks again, uh, and that uh, you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter, and I'm talking this evening with Ann Wood. And uh, she has a life story that we're digging into a little bit, but it's very interesting. So, um, and you, you, you also were involved in the AIDS Foundation in Santa Barbara, um, and then uh, I think Joy retired, you said, in 1987, and you decided to come visit some friends in Nevada County and find a place and raise horses, and it felt like home, and you drove down Mill Street in Grass Valley, and that sealed the deal. <laughs> that's a it great, did. <laughs> uh, that's, a gr that's a great story about coming to Nevada County. We just looked at each other and said, this feels like home. Wow. <laughs> and so we started looking for a place to live. <laughs> 
I think that's a fairly uh, common story for, for those of us who have come here at one point. In my case, it was my parents who, who went through that process in 1950 and found home here, and uh, it's been home off and on ever since. And the, pro- <laughs> the property you found was off of Jones Bar Road, and you built a ranch, and uh, did, did you raise horses? Yes, we were a breeding ranch. We raised the little babies, and uh, we kept them until they were three years old, and then we sold them. And um, it was a wonderful, wonderful life. It was a lot of work, let me tell you. Anybody that's thinking about having horses just for fun, you have to factor in the work, too. Indeed. Yeah, we we did when I was a kid, so I I, I personally know what you're talking about. Uh, it, it was wonderful, and it gave it gave me a chance to hire the kids in the neighborhood to work on the ranch. Well, so did, and there I had more kids. Did did you you have uh, any of your children? Were they still at home when you came to Nevada County with you and Joy? Oh yes, uh huh. So, we still had five. So those those five were partially raised right here in Nevada County and went to school and so forth. They were okay. And then we took in um, two girls and two boys more. Okay. After we moved up here. Okay. And uh, one of the th- activities you got involved here was as becoming a founding board member of the Sierra AIDS Foundation. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, John uh, Holland of the health department. And um, now my mind's going to just go blank on me. Well, that's Michelle okay. Ward from hospice. Okay. And um, Alan Finley from the hospital and myself were the founding the founding board of the Sierra Foothills AIDS Foundation. And um, I I couldn't say enough about the hospital then. I came from uh, Santa Barbara, the mecca of knowledge and uppity people (laughs) who had a hospital that didn't know diddledy squat about AIDS or what they were dealing with. Is is that a professional term for a respiratory therapist, diddly squat? (laughs) No, I believe that's a Texas term. (laughs) Uh, Well, it it translates pretty well right here in California, too. (laughs) But I came up here. They had a complete library. They had all of the information that the uh, state office on AIDS had issued to all the hospitals, but they most hospitals didn't put it where it was available to look at. I, it, this hospital was prepared. Oh. They, when the when the patients started dwindling in because people started coming home to die. Right. And um, it was it was a, a delight to work with a hospital that had an infectious disease nurse, that was Alan Finley, who made it his priority to make sure his hospital was prepared. 
Excellent. Well, that's a great compliment for our hospital. And I think um, most of us here feel very, very blessed to have uh, such a great uh, medical asset right here in our community, in a, our small town. Um, so, And I know that uh, in her later years, Joy developed Alzheimer's, and you spoke about how hard it is to live with someone intelligent and vital who is progressing to the point where she couldn't remember how to put shoes on. But you said she never forgot you or the kids, and uh, several of the kids came home to help with her final days in uh, June of 2019. Uh, what, what's an especially fond memory that you have of the love of your life, of Joy? Oh, many. There are so many. Um, those last days were absolutely beautiful. She was in and out of lucidity, but I, I would, when I knew that there, the time was up and it was going to be soon, I called all of the kids, told them I knew they couldn't make the trip here. They live all over the world. I'm sure with that, that number, they're probably very dispersed. <laughs> they are. And uh, a lot of them are military and can't just pop off and come home. They, they could have, but not in time. And so I said, I just want you to talk to her one more time. And they all did. She would start out not knowing who she was talking to. And then... She would all of a sudden, you could see the light come on, and she'd say, well, Robert, my goodness, when are you coming over? Oh, and oh, nice. it was really wonderful. Well, I talked to all of them. I told them we had hospice, and by the way, the hospice up here is fantastic. Great. They were with me every inch of the way. Well, Ann, we have just and, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I'd uh, love to talk more about it. But I also want to touch on your challenges. You had a very shortly after her passing, you had a very serious auto accident that you still left you with some physical manifestations, and you had just come home, I think, for like a week to your ranch on Jones Bar Road when the fire happened, and you lost everything there. So, how are you recovering from all of that? Well, um, it did set me back a little bit, but I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm very impatient. It's been a year now. I think I should be um, able to do anything I want to, and I'm not. <laughs> but I have so much support up here. If you don't know about it, there are supportive services up here that just boggle the mind. If you need to be fed, there's a group that does that. If you need to be counseled, there's a group that does that. If you need somebody to help you get take a shower, there's a group that does that. Well, it there, is. It is an, it, it's wonderful. It is an amazing community in terms of those resources and that kind of support. Um, 
what for you, Anne, in the last minute or so, what for you has been the the rewarding thing about all you've done, all the caring you've done for children all in the hospital and those that you've taken into your home, um, you know, all the things that you've done for the community with AIDS and uh, working on um, unfair um, initiatives in the state, all that sort of thing. What's the reward for you for doing all of that, you personally? Well... I felt invested in their lives. They were like my children. Each one of them became like my children because people were so cruel to them and so mean to them. And I could make a difference in that. And our foundation, the people trained through our foundation could make a difference in that. Everybody I've ever dealt with still lives in my heart and always will. Well, that's I a... lost a lot of memories in that car wreck because I had a bad head injury, too. But I haven't forgotten one of them. Well, Not a one. Well, it sounds as though you have lots of memories left, and you've been very gracious at sharing them with us today. So thank you very much. Um, again, I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today has been Ann Wood. She's a childhood polio survivor, pediatric respiratory therapist, uh, foster mother or mother to 17 kids, survivor of the Jones Fire, and somebody who really it found her home in our community and has done wonderful things for us. And, and we're very pleased to have talked with you today. So thank you very much for sharing your story with us. Thank you for asking to hear my story. <laughs>